Good evening, good afternoon, good morning, or whenever you happen to be listening to this. Welcome to the Film Realist Podcast, the film and TV podcast from a complete nobody. That is hopefully for somebody. Fortunately, today it is not just me. I am joined by Tom Bacon, the head Star Wars writer at Screen Rant, but we're not here to talk about Star Wars. <laughs> we are here to talk about, well, I guess the most local science fiction franchise for you. Oh, yes. We are talking about Doctor Who, the second of the 60th anniversary specials titled, I kept wanting to call it Into the Blue Yonder, but I yep. think I'm conflating one of the Futurama specials, which was called Into the Yonder, but it's just Wild Blue Yonder. Yes. So the second of those, this aired, well, I guess with time zones, it aired a day before the day of recording. So for <laughs> me, it's on Disney+. Plus. Obviously, for Tom, it would be on BBC. And then I think it's worldwide. It's Disney Plus now. So. Yes. So now it streams internationally on Disney Plus, but in the UK, it's on iPlayer. Yeah, that's like for me over here in Canada, we have stuff that was on CBC exclusively, but then wasn't on Canadian Netflix, even though it was picked up by Netflix for other yeah. countries. So <laughs> unlike a film review where there would be a non-spoiler and spoiler section, Tom and I are just going to get into it. It's a one hour Doctor Who special. So if you have not had a chance yet to watch it, things are going to be spoiled. So come back after you've seen it. Again, you have no excuse. It's available worldwide and it's beneficial to me being Eastern Standard Zone. I think it comes out at something like 2.30 in the afternoon. So I have loads of time to watch it. So I'm very much looking forward to that. Let's not waste any more time. We're talking about Wild Blue Yonder. Now, Tom, I know following you on Twitter, you are a pretty vocal Doctor Who fan. And oh, so yes. I'm very curious what you thought about Wild Blue Yonder. So why don't you start us off? Well, just to give a bit of background, I may be head of Star Wars, but Doctor Who is my first love in science fiction terms, always has been. Um, for me, I think that's what's made this anniversary really special, because normally Doctor Who does this big anniversary splash where you get multi-Doctor adventures, like the Day of the Doctor last time. This time round, Russell T. Davis has basically just decided, right, I'm gonna, I'm going to give a sales pitch of what Doctor Who is to everybody. So you had the Star Beast last week, and this week you have Wild Blue Yonder, which is, let's go creepy. Let's show that Doctor Who can be scary. Let's do a really intense piece with lots of traditional corridors. Um, that's a joke on Doctor Who fandom, really, because there was a time when Doctor Who could not afford anything other than corridors. Um, and let's really focus in on our stars. Let's have fun with this. So for me, I just absolutely loved it. It was the kind of Doctor Who episode that I suspect I'll be watching a dozen times or more. Really is. Had a blast with it. The end bit in particular with Donna, for a minute, I really thought the Doctor had messed up. They mm. did the drama so well at that moment. You just sit there thinking, what? And my wife literally was sat there next to me and just went, no, no, no. <laughs> But that's what you want in Doctor Who. You want moments of drama that just grip you, mirror that match with the characters and just leave you thinking, what is the impact of this going to be? Phew, it worked out. <laughs> 
I think that's a really good point that I've been struggling with. Now, I've, I think I've made it pretty clear leading into Star Beast and then leading up to the 60th anniversary. So just some background as well. I really got into Doctor Who during the, the refresh starting in 0405 with Chris, uh, Christopher Eccleston. And so Day of the Doctor really managing, to, at least in my opinion, managing to have reverence for the classic but also being about the modern era and the resulting conflict with the time war and having the inter I'm going to call it an interjection because it, he's been once, but with the war doctor. Yeah, and so tremendous. that's my only real frame of reference for a doctor who decade celebration. And I've really wanted to not view the shows as what they're not giving me. And for both for star beast and for this for wild blue yonder i watched them twice because i think if i'd only done it once i would be complaining about well it's not a multi multi-doctor <laughs> story and because leading into this with russell t davies announced that he was coming back and yeah. disney plus given them all the money i mentioned this last week the cinematic nature that you have now with the show is yes. something that we, you talked about the corridors and I there's something I'm going to I want to bring up in just a second. But having that premium TV feeling without without losing that small local TV aesthetic that Doctor Who has has been one of the charms of the show. And so. Having what you could, I guess, consider to be a bottle episode in that we there the the opposition or antagonist of this is just David Tennant and Catherine Tate as well. Yep. And I rem I had remembered D Russell T saying something about it's going to be properly scary. And then watching Starbeast going, yeah, I guess like the, the, the meep is a little creepy once it gets angry, but what's he talking <laughs> about? And then you watch this episode. Oh, I, I get what he's talking about. This is the scary. Yeah. And Doctor Who manages to ride that line so perfectly well of it's not going to give you nightmares, depending on your age range, but I think you're going to be thoroughly creeped out about the presentation and managing to undercut that with the comical nature, with the limbs and whatnot, with this unknown antagonist, I thought was really funny. But one thing I saw online with, a, I think, a reaction to the budget clearly being higher for the Star Beast is somebody said, I want my Doctor Who to look cheap. And I laughed <laughs> at that because it's a, even as the show's grown internationally, particularly in the Matt Smith era where they were going, they actually went to Manhattan for yeah. Angels Take Manhattan, which I always think of the Muppets when anybody takes anything. <laughs> but in terms of the corridors, which you, you referenced, the thing that I could not stop laughing about was even with this higher budget, the fact that it's now on Disney Plus for me, I went, oh, we get a volume episode because clearly they <laughs> couldn't build the set all the way down. It's this what's I I'm sure somebody will figure out the length of what this spaceship is. But well, they're not going to build something. You can't no. fill up Leaves Dinner or um, even uh, Wolf Studios does not have the length to to make this massive out, outstretched <laughs> spaceship. And the fact that that was the case and there was a couple shots of some, I would say, not blockbuster rendered CG, 
reminded me of what I love this show, because even with the visuals not being to use Game of Thrones as an example, I guess, for visual effects in films or in television, that I was most happy that this, what you could qualify as a two-hander, really managed to pay reverence to particularly what's gone on in that 15 years span. Yes. And that being the celebration of the show, as opposed to what can at times be member berries, which when done poorly, is sort of takes you out of the show. Now I know people there. I I don't want to have a massive disagreement because it's clearly a a talking point for a lot of doctor who Twitter, which you and I spend a lot of time on, particularly (laughs) with the Chibnall era. And Russell has never said anything about it being not canon to the way he's writing it. Absolutely. But when you have an actor like David Tennant explain the significance of flux and the power of the yes. doctor to Catherine Tate, it just hits home Perfect. so much more. What's gone on? This is the next level tragedy that the time war was for. I guess it would have been McGann into John Hurt into Eccleston. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, that was one of the things I really liked about this one. There'd been a lot of speculation ahead of the show that Chibnall would, that uh, that Davies would retcon the Timeless Child or would just ignore it. Chibnall himself said that he thoroughly expected the next right next show and to just ignore it. And yet here we are, two episodes into Russell T. Davies' era, and the Doctor saying, "I don't even know where I come from." That's the Timeless Child, and here we have the consequences of the flux being explained. Actually. Forgive me, Chibnall fans, but for, it felt much more emotionally impactful than it did during Flux itself. And in a way, I actually think Davies sort of retroactively improves some elements of Flux with that, because you can now see a character arc. You can now say the reason the Doctor didn't discuss half the universe nearly ended. The Doctor just did what the Doctor always does, ran away ran on. And here in this episode, the Doctor is forced to stop running. The TARDIS is gone. Here is apparently Donna talking to him. And so he winds up forced to confront some of what's happened at last. And that's the making for brilliant character drama, but it retroactively adds something to the Chibnall era. And that's when I like Sherman's writing really carefully honoring what's gone before, actually improving what's gone before a little bit as well. And it's it's certainly an interesting aspect because there is this almost it seems like a pivot point for a lot of the fandom. Obviously, like I don't want to beat a dead horse about the this what seems to be such a distinct line with who Chibno either ruined the show or made it better, but Doctor Who <laughs> continuity is going to be what it is it's always in a state of flux uh pun intended given (laughs) and i what i found most interesting particularly about the chibnall con like matt well yeah it's retconning because you're constantly changing things that have happened before is really having the opportunity to explore things beyond what, what we had seen before and i found it quite humorous that there was such a negative reaction to that given how the modern era has had to do that at every step or you run out of things to do. Yeah. Particularly with, and I, the day of the doctor in 
for me is one of my favorite episodes of the modern era because of that classic nature and getting a what was three five and then i think three again now i might be misremembering the the anniversary specials for classic yeah it might have been three three five i'm not sure three five two three five two thank you yeah and so <laughs> in introducing john hurt and i mean no one's going to complain about john hurt being brought into doctor who um he's in my opinion Tremendous. he's uk acting royalty so you're adding that caliber of somebody to a television program that's certainly a big deal and it adding almost this cycle that we I don't think we necessarily would have been aware of with the doctor. As you mentioned, the doctor constantly running away from things being Christopher Eccleston was the re remnants of the warrior. And it stated, I watched this more recently, so it was fresher in mind, but David Tennant being the one who was suffering from the choice. And then yeah. Matt Smith being the one who forgot it in order to move on. Yes. And with the the way that streaming's working, particularly on my end of the world, it's incredibly frustrating because seasons one through 10 are currently on Prime Video. And then you can't get oh, any no. of the Jodie Whittaker stuff on anything. Ugh. And then the Disney Plus era is starting with the specials. And then, of course, we're getting to Shuti Gatwa. But I'm so glad you brought that up because it feels like the it is a repetition of this cycle again. Yes. where David Tennant was running away from it. And what is this, particularly with, I think, mean, teasing for what we're getting with the Toy Man in The Giggle, with a villain, now I looked this up and I, it might, I might be incorrect, but it's not. It's somebody from the William Hartnell era we haven't seen again? Yeah, absolutely. And to be honest, a lot of the footage doesn't even exist anymore. It's one oh, of those it was, stories. It was destroyed, wiped by the BBC, some of the episodes. Um, so there's little clips that you'll see, but very little of the toy maker actually still exists. Um, so when there's a clip in the trailer where, oh, and he is remembering me, that just feels like a wonderful meta comment of, yeah, yeah this is the villain the show forgot. <laughs> yeah, that's that's really interesting. Well, and it's it's really tragic that that's the case. It reminds me of things yeah. where Disney, ironically, who now is broadcasting it, outside of the UK using yeah. or reusing cell animation from their and from their animated projects in the seventies with things like jungle book, the Dalmatian sort of the stone reusing animation. And so I think the earliest being jungle book cells for that movie don't exist anymore because they've been drawn over to make other films. Ooh, that's bad. Yeah. Well, Xerox machine, it, it, that, you can't draw 101 Dalmatians. So lots yeah. of photocopying was done, I guess. Wow. And so with David Tennant now coming into contact with this character, is it Toy Maker or Toy, Toy Man? Maker? Toy Maker. Toy Maker in Giggle. I'm very curious what we are. I mean, I, I've put my cards on the table consistently. I'm a big fan of sex education and Shuti Gatwa in that show is absolutely yeah. brilliant. And... I, you know what I'm going to ask anyways, because it's I, I don't know if I've seen your reaction to this on Twitter. What did you think of Shooty being replacing Matt in an adventure in space and time? I didn't mind in the slightest, to be honest, because um, there's actually a quote from back when they did the original um, adventure in space and time saying, yeah, and we can just replace this every anniversary with the latest doctor or something. So it was literally what they'd always planned to do. 
and oh, I can picture. I didn't know that. Yeah, I can picture them doing it again in ten years, and whoever the next Doctor is, they'll have their turn on there. It's yeah. Well, and given how we've seen, it's I don't know. I'm nervous on what we're going to be getting, and I had a conversation with a coworker about this recently, which is leading into Shuti's era, which we're getting the church on Ruby Road. Is that what yes. it's called? Yeah, and the almost refresh with without being one because as we've talked about the continuity and the canon has stayed the same we're not starting this isn't doctor 1.0 again i mean it may be for some people if they're jumping into these specials first but if david Tennant is the is the doctor who was running from the flux and yes. you could argue i guess maybe the writing staff was doing the same as well is that putting shooty in a position similar to matt smith Yes, that's a good point. I mean, for me, I'm really curious about where they're going here because I personally think they've designed this new companion, Ruby Sunday, as a parallel of the Timeless Child. Um, So you've got... We don't know much about her, but we know that, for example, she was left as as a child at the doorstep of a church, just abandoned, and Ruby probably isn't even her real name. Um, it'll just be the name she was given probably because of the name of the road you know um so to me it feels as though this companion is a parallel you've got this idea of somebody who's been left who's been abandoned who doesn't know who she really is who doesn't even know her real name and it's the same kind of themes really as the timeless child I really do feel as though rather than uh, rather than retconning it or uh, ignoring it Dave's has just gone, right, let's dive in. Let's mm-hmm. absolutely dive into this. Let's double down. Let's have fun. Let's ask the question, Doctor Who, again. And I'm really intrigued to see what story he has to tell here. Well, and in giving, we've seen him say, uh, Shuti has said, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> uh, I think that's it. And then, but the, in watching his, dialogueless scene in an adventure in space and time. And in particular, one thing I love that the modern era has done with David Bradley playing William Hartnell was allowing him to play the first doctor within doctor who. Yes. I think that was a really cool way of continuing the legacy because we don't get to 60 years without William Hartnell's portrayal of the character to begin with. No, no. I mean, he wasn't the first one to play the first Doctor again. Um, There was another in The Five Doctors, because sadly William Hartnell had already passed away by that point. Um, The name's escaped. The name is gone at the minute. Possibly Richard Richard Herndl? It was... It says William Hartnell, but let's see. Did somebody else do it? Possibly Richard Herndl. Yeah, it says Richard Herndl. Yes. Um, So he... In a way, it's sort of just repeating something that had been done before with Mm -hmm. that, which is absolutely fine. Um, I'm curious to see whether they'll do the same with Patrick Troughton's second Doctor or John Pertwee's third Doctor. Or maybe Christopher Eccleston's ninth Doctor, because we know he's not coming (laughs) back. (laughs) Which is, I doubt he will for RTD, that's for sure. The two did not stand to get on. Well, if he wasn't coming back for Moffat, I don't think he was coming back for RTD. But the no. charm in Shooty's Doctor, just for me, was resonating with just a wink to William Hartnell's character. Yeah, and I'm so excited to seeing what he brings to the character. The only thing, and I know it's tradition, 
And sometimes traditions are good and sometimes they're bad. And I understand that. And I'm just saying it's bad being even being somebody who kind of dove in in the midst of David. No, well, when was it? It was at the end of David Tennant's run when I really got into the show. So I was I had the benefit of watching all of his. So series two, three, four, and then watching his specials and then catching up in the midst of series five is that we've had these. All of the modern doctors, of course, outside of Christopher Eccleston, have done their three series seasons. I mean, they're yeah. called series and then their specials. I think at this point for Doctor Who, in my opinion, is we need somebody to be around for longer. Yeah, I'd agree. I'd agree. And we need the Tom Baker. Exactly. Character. that, And it's ironic. I have my scarf. I didn't put it on because I'd be melting. <laughs> uh, I wore it for last episode. But um, I do have my sonic screwdriver, though. It's here. Oh, um, perfect. And, you know, I, so, you know, here's something I'm incredibly jealous of for you. Shipping these here, not fun. Because <laughs> uh, we don't get, I uh, I have ordered the 14th and 13th, and I, I'm not going to tell my wife what the shipping cost on those was. But, um, <laughs> I completely understand. It's, I think what's most interesting to me is how the, because I'm not talking about money, but it's clearly affected the show. I have, I'm very fortunate. I watch them on my 4K TV up here in my attic slash man cave. And just seeing the quality on screen has been so refreshing for yeah. this property that for so long has felt st- like stuck in yeah. like it's it was it's been in HD for a while, but it's probably been in 720 versus 1080 <laughs> de- depending <laughs> yeah. on how it's been used over there. And the spectacle of let's getting back into wild blue yonder, I really appreciated all of the the character moments being what I think is going to make the sh- episode much more rewatchable. Yes. But then getting a chase scene of a giant Catherine Tate and David Tennant being oh, horrifying, yeah. but funny at the same time. And when Doctor Who manages to ride that line, that's when it's at its best. Absolutely. Yeah, that was an unforgettable scene. And as you say, utterly bizarre. You know, if you described that scene to someone who hadn't seen the episode, um, here we have giant Catherine Tate and giant David Tennant chasing the Doctor and Donna. And you can picture the reaction being, you what? Just seriously, you what? I liked the mythical element that they wove into it every now and again, though, because the Doctor, for example, he uses superstition against the creatures at one point. But just with that image of the giants, you've got the giant idea going on as well there. It's really interesting here. They've they've sort of they've woven in supernatural and mythological imagery in quite an interesting way. And I've not actually thought of that point until we were talking about it just now. Um Well they sort of are it, it's funny, my wife's a big supernatural fan. And so like elements of classic monster universal monsters, if you want to go with per- one particular brand of them, sort of get woven in throughout the whole thing, particularly with the salt being laid down. If I yes. remember, Supernatural uses that for like demons. I think it's a part of vampire lore as well. But then we yeah. also get that with the monster or the the antagonist versions where they get the sharp teeth, right? The extended limbs being Absolutely. something else and the the mind games that they're playing give some of the best conversations I can remember the show having in quite a long time. Yes. Um, Apologies, I got slightly distracted because I suddenly realized 
everybody is speculating that that supernatural thing is set up for the toy maker and you know that somehow the doctor when that was blown apart it's allowed the toy maker to cross over between the dimensions i'm suddenly wondering if there's something else going on because again to circle to the shooty gatwer era we know that his story is on christmas day is going to feature goblins we're indulging in the same idea of supernatural things fleshed out so i'm wondering if there's a lasting impact there that that the doctor has somehow changed the nature of reality so superstitions and mythology are actually woven into reality somehow well and he does express his concern with having done so at the very end right yeah and believing it to be true is the element that forces it to work until ultimately fake donna is able to break through that yeah so i wonder if there's actually going to be some real consequences of the doctor's actions there not just in the toy maker that's what everybody's expecting but maybe a lot beyond that i quite like that idea the doctor coming up with a sort of get out of jail free card for a moment and it completely backfires and <laughs> destroys the whole nature of reality in some when sense. When we see that right at the very end where it seems true. It, it reminded me of, um, I can't remember his name, but whatever Samuel Jackson does in Kingsman, yes. where everyone's yeah. violent tendencies are coming through. And I would be remiss without mentioning the scene with Wilford, which I knew was oh. going to break my heart. And it did. And given his return. Well, so here's something I brought up last week. I think I did. I don't know. It's been a very long (laughs) week. Apologize, Tom. Is that I found the scene where Donna gets her memories back to be significantly reminiscent of the end of time part two. Yes, definitely. And so given like that aspect of both of the relationships, I was really glad we got to have some closure with Wilfred because the last time we saw him, It was this moment of goodbye and having this celebration that Donna is back. And then, of course, being completely interrupted by calamity. But you talked about the supernatural elements and the toy maker coming back. We've seen that toy store in both specials so far. True. That's true. Yeah. So we we're not really the thing that I'd be most curious about moving forward is where like when were they in time? on the spaceship relative because yeah. again it's time and relative dimension in space it's not always moving linear linearly yeah. right and what Absolutely. is the mavity of his reactions <laughs> to what are the consequences of the supernatural element but yes one thing i was a little disappointed by and there's there's only so much time in them addressing the consequences of flux and power of doctor i'm much more appreciated but We've st- this episode seems to be less focused on the return of Tenet's face. Yes, definitely. I don't. I still don't know what the story is about that one. I've got plenty of theories, but sure. realistically, I still aren't convinced there's enough evidence to support any of them or to explain any of them. Maybe um, Tom Baker just shows up again as the curator and goes, I yeah. told you. I'd love that. Oh, sadly, I there were some photos on Twitter recently and my heart just broke a little bit because he's looking so much older now. You know, and yeah, I get the feeling that we may not see him on Doctor Who again. 
which yeah that just did something in my heart absolutely really. yeah I, it's the most depressing particularly when you have these versions of them in your head i had a really hard time with um indiana jones and the dial of destiny in particular yes. because of that and i saw Kit. i've now seen all of them in theaters but in particular when i saw kingdom of the crystal skull somebody who was 60 did not seem nearly as old as somebody who was 90 in dial yes. of destiny yeah but i mean if if you're gonna go out on Doctor Who, I think Tom Baker's seen as the curator. Who, to my knowledge, I I don't read or listen to any of the audio dramas because there's too much stuff. There's oh, always lots. too much stuff, yeah. and so that I think the curator has had somewhat of an expanded role amongst the continuity. But I'm not necessarily yeah. sure what the case I've, is. I've not listened to them, but I believe he's had plenty of big finish audio dramas. Mm -hmm. Sadly, big finish do far too many. I can't afford them all. So you have to pick and choose. <laughs> yes, exactly. So I'm I'm hoping that the response to that is to to call back something in the Moffat era. We didn't really get an explanation as to why Capaldi was Capaldi. He just true. was. That's true. Yeah. Right. Remember that guy in Pompeii? Uh, I stole his face. That the end of the story. Like I guess if it had, you could have explored the fact that it was the first time the Doctor change of something within a fixed point in time yeah yeah at least in the modern era i mean you do also have the comedy that colin baker played a, a gallifreyan guard before yeah. before becoming the sixth doctor so it's not without precedent for an actor to uh wind up returning to the role of the doctor mm. <laughs> yeah uh, i'm just I think having watched both of them twice now, I am really enjoying these episodes for what they are. Of yeah. course, I've said I've said it already. I would absolutely have loved some version of the three doctors, whether that was Paul McGann needs his own miniseries. I know nobody loves his yeah. 90s movie, but you're doing Tales in the TARDIS. Just yeah. bring him in Get for this. It. it would have been I, in my personal roster if we could. If you could just make it happen would have been McGann, Tenet and Capaldi. Ooh. Cuz then you have doctors in between and yeah. you get And I guess it would have been Tenet's 14th doctor, but regardless you've still got a significant separation of generations. Yeah. Right because in Day of the Doctor we had Hurt in place of Eccleston and then Tenet obviously 10 into 11. It's like, well, you're me like you've I was just you. And so having a sig much more significant separation, I'd be really curious to see what that would bring. And I know we now have a Hooniverse, so lots of things are possible. <laughs> so I'd be very curious to seeing how this does do on Disney Plus. But I have to say before these specials started, I was a lot more hesitant. Of what my enjoyment was going to be. Um listeners of the podcast would know I'm a very big Power Rangers fan and the fact that the well I haven't actually said this yet on the record but the once <laughs> and always 30th special they did was just about one team and I was really disappointed that that was the case and then the 30th season didn't really do anything anniversary e it's not a word but it is now and so <laughs> I was nervous yeah. that with these specials, it was going to be remember series four. It was so good. And then yeah. that was pretty much going to be it. But as yeah. you so pleasantly stated, I think this has managed to really capture. If you were to make a bullet 
list of what Doctor Who does in every successful episode, the specials have managed to capture that in two different yes. distinct versions with the yeah. the unknown alien in the first one, right? The the visitor from another planet having it be Earth-based. Yep. The conflict between human forces and alien laser beams. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mind Although, control. The sonic screwdriver, even though I love its Deus Machina capabilities, force fields is too much. Yeah, agreed. I can, agreed. I can do resonating concrete, but I, I can't do force. Field. I get it, Disney. <laughs> you, you, you have money now, and I know Russell's going to enjoy it. But for me, and then as you put it at the very beginning, having more a thriller horror element that's completely character based, and to some degree as well follows arguably the most famous episode of the modern era with blank's use of the how the time works linearly yes right with the change from gravity to mavity i thought it was quite <laughs> hysterical and as somebody who enjoys quite a few science fiction properties i've always preferred i'm going to quote the back to the future element of time travel where there if so, if you go back and do do change something it affects the present so yeah, it's like that loop definitely. is the result of those choices. So definitely. I mean, I think the Mavity joke, weirdly, is actually really important because it tells you time travel is dangerous. Mm-hmm. It tells you the Doctor, the Master, the Daleks, any other time travelers you want to name, they can literally rewrite the present. And there's only really been one other story where I felt Doctor Who played on that. That was in the Tom Baker era. Um, the Pyramids... Oh, the one with the uh, Assyrian Sutek. Um, anyway, but nonetheless, there's a scene in one of the episodes where uh, Tom Baker's fourth doctor takes Sarah Jane Smith forward in time to show her that the release of the Egyptian god Sutek will destroy her present um, if he doesn't prevent it. And that's brilliant. It reinforces the sense this actually matters. The Pyramids of Mars. That's it. The Pyramids of Mars. That's exactly what it's called. Yes, you're correct. Um, But this is a funnier way of doing the same thing, of telling people, hey, if they go back in time, anything can happen. Anything can change. Hold on to history books. They don't matter anymore. We can change things. We can rewrite history. We can change gravity to mavity. We can have a blast. Um, So, yeah, I think weirdly, yeah, it was a great running joke that added a bit of humor to quite a tense episode but there's a really serious point underneath it that that i hope they hold on to well it'll be very curious given how we know i mean the one thing that i think i would be critical of in terms of what we're getting in these specials is to our earth-based in the modern day yeah which I understand where you're, if you're going to spend your money, where you are going to spend it. Neil Patrick Harris coming to doctor who also big deal. I know he was in it's a sin. Yeah. yeah, it's yeah. A sin. Also written by RTD. So I'm very curious. You brought up that supernatural thing. And now I'm so curious on how, if that's even explored yeah. at all because I of the dimensional so. thing. Yeah. In terms of the earthbound side, um, earthbound side, there's a reason for it. If you look back at RTD's first run, it actually takes an incredible amount of time for them to get away from Earth. Um, I think New Earth is the first time they actually go away from the Earth. Um, so you're talking an entire season where they stay. And the reason I was reading, um, there are some excellent behind-the-scenes books called The Black Archives that you can pick up. 
and I've got the one on Rose and they'd found they've tracked down an interview with RTD in which he said that he felt you needed to ground your stories and your characters to begin with because you needed them to be felt to be cared about if you have a dim a distant world where there's no frame of reference or point of contact why should people care what you need is for people to actually connect and so to him it's really important to start on the earth and then use that as a springboard gradually so i think he's repeating himself really there he's gone back to basics and gone right now i want people to connect to this character the first thing i have to do is set him in the familiar in to use the marvel term the world outside your window and once we've got that done we can get a bit more spectacular um i think it's ironically for doctor who history repeating itself (laughs) well probably i mean we know from set photos and uh released images that we've seen shooty and say it wrong i want to say it's millie gibson millie gibson where we've seen them in what looks like i think it's like i there's a bouffant of some sort what was the era uh, where it's like 1800s maybe 17 and then we've also seen some 60s attire with shooty rocking an incredible pinstripe suit and afro and I know they're in the midst of shooting. I mean, I'm going to keep calling them the series numbers until somebody yeah. forces me to RTD. You're going to have to make me and I'm not doing it right <laughs> now because I don't want to. So 15's already shooting. As I said already, I would love nothing more than have a doctor around for five series. Yeah. Maybe some specials really getting to dig into a doctor, particularly at this point, as we'd mentioned, where it is a fresh start post the yes. biggest return and nostalgia trip of this whole 60th, 60th anniversary is Catherine Tate and David Tennant. Yeah, and moving definitely. forward, it is as if the show has started anew. Yeah. That's until we see characters from potentially the RTD or Moffat eras. Now, we already know we will next episode. Okay, that's true. Kate. That is true. Yep. Kate, Kate Lethbridge-Stewart. That's true. <laughs> I want to see, I mean, I would never actually want to see this now that I've said this, but Clara's still out there in a burger shop oh. TARDIS, I guess. Uh, not that I think that's happening anytime soon, but they're still out there. Um, one thing I'm most looking forward to is I think Russell T. Davies always knew when to write off a companion. So I'd be yeah. very curious to see if this is a two series run for Millie Gibson. Oh gosh, I've now got the mental image of rtd actually saying and we filmed this companion's last episode when you haven't even seen her first i can so picture him doing it (laughs) well doctor who unleashed comes out uh every week now because as with the rtd era we get just as much behind the scenes as we did before which if you if you do have bbc iplayer or a vpn uh (laughs) i would recommend watching them particularly for the construction of the new tardis which i absolutely loved it's gorgeous it's so pretty and being Mm. somebody who has three of the five and the other two on their way sonic screwdrivers the fact that the new one looks like matt smith's and david Tennant's had a baby (laughs) i uh, I think it's great Uh, oh i I mean it's the same thing right it's yeah i like that it's got the prongs and whatever and whatnot so i'm very much looking forward to that so 
Tom, thank you so much for being on the show to discuss Doctor Who. My pleasure. Absolutely my pleasure. Anytime. Fantastic. And so next week will be the release of The Giggle, December 9th. And so that's what I will be covering on the show. As we get into the holiday season, I'm not necessarily sure what's going to be covered. I know that I will be seeing, well, I mean, Tom can see it, but I will be seeing The Boy and the Blue Heron. Uh, Brilliant. And uh, fortunately, I have secured a ticket to the Toronto premiere of Rebel Moon, A Child of Fire. So you can look forward to that in the upcoming weeks. And then after that, I guess it would be Aquaman. So there's a lot of things to cover. So I'm covering a wide variety of stuff. And I would be remiss without acknowledging some responses to the questions on Spotify. Luckily, so we last week's episode and Tom, I know you met you had a list on Twitter. So I did see this, but the question for the Star Beast review was, who was your favorite doctor? Scotty Cameron responded with David Tennant. It's a very popular answer. Not really shocking. Uh, for me, it's the same Scotty Cameron, although I have a special place for Paul McGann. And then uh, the littlest underscore nine. I know who that is, but clearly you have a username, so that's fine. Said Matt Smith three exclamation points and i did receive a text uh brandon's favorite is peter capaldi okay all right so we got three different answers from that three from the modern era <laughs> well if you could pick one tom who would it be john pertwee he was the one i loved when i was a kid because he got to have all the vehicles and the hover cars and the flying car that they actually made this souped up car that he then gave away to a because a kid had was ill um he literally had this hoomobile built and then gave it away um i, so I did there. see that covered recently was it on talking doctor who i believe there was I this um i think so david Tennant narrated a special talking about the tech and i they talked about it they showed john pertree driving it onto a yeah um a talk show so that was really cool yes he actually uh, got a little tired of the vehicle because it, it was actually okay to drive down the road it had a license and everything so but apparently he got tired of the accidents he was causing as people saw this flying saucer-like car driving down the road past them i can imagine <laughs> especially in where oh no i can't remember where does doctor who shoot it shoots in I don't know where it shot back in the 70s, though. Back in the 70s, you're probably talking London, I'd imagine. Oh, okay. So there you go. And then on the Hunger Games and the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, the question was, what is your favorite YA franchise? Amanda wrote in, I would say Harry Potter's my favorite, although there are arguments for both sides whether it's YA or not. Uh, I think it kind of fits in with there. So thank you for those answers on the most recent episodes. I don't know what my question is going to be for this episode. I'm not sure. So if you're listening on Spotify, the questions are posted there. Uh, as always, I'm just seeing more pictures for the giggle and I don't want to see those right now. Um, yeah. The spoilers in them. So definitely avoid them. I will avoid it's That's one of the only aspects is I don't have time to watch the show at two 30 in the afternoon. So I'm like, okay, <laughs> social media, you take a nap. I will watch yeah. this later. Again, Tom, thank you so much for coming on to talk about Doctor Who. I'm really enjoying these specials, and I'm very curious to seeing what the conclusion brings. We'll find out in less than a week. So if you are keeping up with Doctor Who, you can watch it on BBC in the UK and Disney Plus everywhere. Not an ad, but some people may not know. 
I think this is a really great jumping off point, and I've been recommending to my friends who have never seen the show that the first Christmas special with Shuti Gatwa might be a place to start as well. If you don't want to, yeah. If you don't want to have to not know about what everything is referencing in these specials, (laughs) that will do it for the Film Realist podcast. I'm Kyle Naranya. I hope you enjoyed being a film realist, and I hope to see you. on